Now, I shared this with the two previous services. Um, last night, um, right before the service, a few of my InterVarsity co-laborers and I were at a memorial service yesterday afternoon um, for one of our colleagues who had passed away last week after complications from a third stroke that she had suffered. So our friend Jay Sivitz had been in ministry for over 40 years, and her ministry not only spanned decades, but also the country. There were two memorial services planned, one in Boston yesterday and the next week in Chicago, so that everyone whose lives she touched could participate in um, honoring her and celebrating her life. She'd worked with students and with campus ministers for years. Um, so we were there yesterday, those of us who were there yesterday, we just got to hear story after story um, of her life and her ministry. Now Jay had moved to New England only a few years ago, so I didn't know her well. A lot of us in New England didn't know her well, but we had seen some of this in her, in her ministry, but just hearing story after story of her life's work and the ways that she'd affected so many people. And her, her ministry specialty, if you can have a specialty, was prayer and spiritual formation. She helped students and campus ministers. She listened and she prayed. And oh, did she pray for you. She helped you see what the Lord was doing in you. And her gifts of intercessory prayer and prayer ministry were just astounding. So we heard all these stories. We cried and we laughed at how witty she was and how wonderful a friend and colleague she was. And something, though, that was said speaks to us um, today. One of the last people who spoke, spoke out of a scripture from one of the Gospels. And she said, Jay wasn't always the spiritual giant that she became, that many of us knew her as. Her relationship with the Lord and her amazing gifts of prayer and spiritual formation were the result of many small decisions to follow Jesus daily throughout her life and to put him first. And I just thought how true that is. She did not, Jay is amazing, but she did not come out of the womb as a gifted intercessor in prayer. This was developed in her as she took small steps of faith and obedience to the Lord. Many very small but significant steps of obedience to the Lord throughout her life. And I just thought, wow, what an example. I was so grateful for the woman who pointed that out. What an example of our sermon series which is a long obedience in the same direction. Jay was an example of this. Not a person seeking after quick fixes, but steady, steady obedience to the Lord in a life of discipleship with him that proved to produce so much fruit. So with that experience yesterday, I'm just grateful for this opportunity to join in on this sermon series of a long obedience in the same direction. So if you're just joining in with us, or as a refresher for all of us, we're in the midst of a 15-week sermon series based off the Psalm of Ascents found in pastor and author Eugene Peterson's book by this title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. So before his death this past year, Eugene Peterson was a brilliant pastor and theologian. So we're following this book to glean some of the riches of both Peterson's thoughts and truths from these scriptures. Psalms 120 to 134, also known as these Psalms of Ascent. So at the beginning of January, when we started the series, Pastor Tom described these 15 Psalms of Ascent as a hymn book within the hymn book of the Jewish people. So these 15 Psalms are part of the larger 150 Psalms. 
Now these particular 15 are the ones that the Jewish people would sing on their way to Jerusalem for three Jewish festivals each year. The Jewish law required these, pilgrim, these pilgrimages, um, three pilgrimages of his people, to Jerusalem to where the temple was, where the presence of the Lord was at that point. That was where God was at the temple. So three times a year, for Passover, for the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people would pilgrimage to Jerusalem. These psalms, these songs, these prayers are what they sang on their way up to meet with the Lord. Pastor Tom also taught us, it was helpful to realize this, that Mary and Joseph sang these psalms as they traveled with a young Jesus to Jerusalem for festivals. Jesus and his disciples sang these songs over the years of his ministry as they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus sang these songs, these psalms, for that final Passover meal celebration as he came to Jerusalem for that before he offered himself on the cross for us. So these are very, very precious psalms, precious songs. And they're in a progression. They provide spiritual preparation for the children of Israel to meet with God, and they address aspects of that pilgrimage to him. So today, we're not required to go to Jerusalem, but they present a roadmap for our spiritual pilgrimage pilgrimage with elements that are common to our journey with Christ today. So there's a brief review so far. We started with Psalm 120. We looked at the theme of repentance. 121, we looked at God's providence. 122, we looked at worship. 123, service. And then 124, health. Help. And so today, we're looking at the next one, Psalm 125. So I'd love for you to pull out your Bible in the pew or um, scripture on your phone to Psalm 125. It should be on page 441 of the Bibles um, in the pews. So you can turn there with me, page 441. So Psalm 125, beginning with verse 1, and I'll just read it to us. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. So Eugene Peterson entitles his chapter on Psalm 125 as security. He probably could have picked a variety of words, but he chose security because the psalm is communicating our security in life with the Lord the solidity of life with the Lord. In a world, both then and now, marked with doubt, uncertainty, and chaos, it's possible for for followers of the Lord to find themselves unsettled before God. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. I think we probably all have at times. But Psalm 125 writes about the security we have in the Lord that everlasting security in our standing with him. Now, a lot of times we've been, in this series, we've been sharing the main point right off the bat, and this is it this week, that life with the Lord 
is secure. Life with the Lord is solid. We have absolute security in Jesus. This is how Peterson's paraphrase of Scripture, his translation called The Message, is translated, and it'll be up on the screen. Those who trust in God are like Zion Mountain. Nothing can move it, a rock-solid mountain you can always depend on. Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles his people. Always has and always will. Now, the writer in this psalm is describing actual geography in this portion of the psalm. Jerusalem was surrounded by hills. It was the safest of cities because of the protection that these hills provided. So the psalmist here is using these hills to illustrate and highlight the reality of God's secure love and care. Everyone, people of faith and people not of faith, needs security. We all do. We all crave it. As it was at the time the psalmist wrote, and it is now, the world world is dangerous. We're not surrounded by safety all the time. In Bible times, people had to defend themselves from roaming raiders and thieves and had to be vigilant at all times. In our context here today, we still do live in a dangerous world. It may not be from roaming raiders um, going around, but we do our best to protect ourselves from dangers, things like violence, disease, hatred, bad influences, economic insecurities, and more. But Peterson, in his chapter, he writes, people of faith have the same needs for protection and security as anyone else. We are no better than others in that regard. What is different is that we find that we don't have to build our own. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles his people. Peterson continues, we don't always have to be looking over our shoulder lest evil overtake us unawares. We don't always have to keep our eyes on our footsteps lest we slip inadvertently on a temptation. God is at our side. And when it comes down to it, do we need anything more than our Lord Jesus' prayer for us from John 17? Holy Father, Jesus prayed, guard them. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. Peterson says, with a prayer like that offered to the Father by Jesus on our behalf, are we not secure? So simply, Psalm 125 says, God surrounds his people. He is by our side. He is with us. And because of that, we endure Because of that security, we cannot be shaken. That is security, that we can endure life and that we cannot be shaken. Now, praying Psalm 125 is one way that Christians have to develop confidence and security in Jesus, in the Lord. And just as a side note, but I think an important side note, these psalms really are meant to be prayed, like Jesus and everyone else that we mentioned They prayed them. For these psalms to really change us, we don't want to just listen to what me and other people say or just read them, but pray them. So 
We do, though, become anxious and slip into fear and uncertainty, even in the face of a psalm like this that tells us not to. But Peterson, in his chapter, he highlights three particular threats to our security, which I think are helpful to go through. So first, in these threats to our security, first, feelings of depression and doubt and uncertainty are threats to our security in Christ. We all have them. The person of faith here is described as a rock-solid mountain in this psalm. But I admit that I definitely don't feel like that all the time. And now for sure, there are times when I do feel confident, full of faith, ready to take on whatever challenge is in front of me. But there are many times when I don't feel that way. Small moments and big moments. When I let that anger get the best of me. When I have a mom-fail moment, when I forget to do something that I said I would do, when I make mistakes, when I disappoint myself or others, when I let someone down, rather than feeling like a mountain that doesn't move, I feel like a tree that has been blown over by a storm, affected by the winds of the world around me. But isn't this also the way of the Israelites? There is a phrase often used to describe the Israelites called the saw-toothed history of Israel. Now, this was a new phrase for me, but I was like, oh, it's so helpful, so I want to talk about it. Israel was constantly up one day and then down the next. One day, the Israelites would be marching in triumph and singing praises to the Lord, And then the next day, they would be grumbling in the desert because they didn't like the taste of the food that God was providing for them. They were up and down like the teeth in a saw. Now later, we see this with the disciples, the people closest to Jesus who knew him the best on earth. One moment, Peter was declaring his love and devotion to the Lord, and then the next moment, denying that he even knew Jesus. And not just to pick on poor Peter or the Israelites, we're all like this. We all have our ups and downs. But here's the key, that no matter if we are up or down like the teeth on this saw, Psalm 125 teaches us that God's children are always God's children. God was steadfastly with the Israelites through their ups and downs. And he is steadfastly with us through our own ups and downs. He is not threatened by our doubts and our insecurities and our questions. But he is right beside us the whole time. And as we learn about the security in God, as we pray Psalm 125, we can slowly see ourselves transforming into people who believe that we are secure in God. We learn not to live by our feelings, how we're doing in that way. So not to live by our feelings about God, but by the facts of God. We can refuse to believe our insecurities and doubts and fears and choose to believe God instead. I would guess that there are a number of people here today who have testimonies of God meeting them in very difficult times. Sometimes God relieves us of the pain and suffering in life. But there are many times when we experience God's nearness and presence and we grow closer to him, more secure in him, even when the circumstances in our life causing the doubts and the pain and the despair don't change. 
Peterson writes, My feelings are important for many things. They are essential and valuable. They keep me aware of much that is true and real. But they tell me next to nothing about God or my relation to God. My security comes from who God is, not how I, from how I feel. Discipleship, then, is a decision to live by what I know about God, not what I feel about him. So first, our feelings of depression and doubt can be threats to our security. A second threat to our uncertainty and insecurity is our pain and suffering. A threat to our security is our pain and our suffering, like I mentioned earlier. Bad things happen to us and to those we love, as we all know. Anxiety seeps into our hearts when we think about and experience these pains. Where is God? What is he doing? We worry about the next bad thing that will happen and the trouble that may be lurking around the next corner. What's helpful to realize is that the person who wrote this psalm, the psalmist, he knew all of these things. He knew pain. He knew suffering. Disease, sickness, war, persecution, death. The writer is familiar with military invasion and famine and earthquake. The psalm was not written in a vacuum. A psalmist lived in a world without pain medication in the medicine cabinet and a much slimmer national defense budget than we have today. Pain and suffering were most certainly a part of their life. So why did these things not destroy the psalmist's confidence? I think we see a key to this answer of this question in verse 3. Translate in the message, it will be on the slide. The fist of the wicked will never violate what is due the righteous, provoking wrongful violence. Now the word violate here means to cancel God's purposes that are being worked out. So the fist of the wicked will never cancel God's purposes that are being worked out. The fist of the wicked is only temporary. It may be a long temporary, but it's only temporary. Now, if it's permanent, if there is no hope for salvation, no hope for eternal peace, then even the most faithful person will break and respond in the wrongful violence mentioned here. But the fist of the wicked is only temporary, however long it lasts for us in this life. It is only temporary. Danger and oppression are never too much for faith. The fist of the wicked was not too much for Job. It was not too much for Jesus. We may think, well, I'm, I'm not Job or Jesus. But whoever we are, evil is not final. Peterson writes, Evil is always temporary. The worst does not last Nothing counter to God's justice has any eternity in it. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So the second threat to our certainty and security is pain and suffering. Now a third threat to our confidence in Christ is perhaps a bit surprising or maybe just poignant. And maybe it's surprising because it's what we don't want to admit or think about. At least I don't. But this threat is what Peterson calls 
and, and I quote, the known possibility of defection. Eeks. We know that we are not faithful at times. We are unfaithful. We know that we could decide to leave the faith altogether. But as followers of Jesus, having doubts, though they may freak us out, do not freak Jesus out. At any sign of wavering commitment on our part, Jesus does not go running away from us. So here's a truth that I think we need to know. It is not possible to drift unknowingly from follower to non-follower. Peterson puts it this way. We have our ups and downs, zealously believing one day and gloomily doubting the next. But God is faithful. We break our promises, but the Lord does not break his Discipleship is not a contract in which if we break our part of the agreement, the Lord is free to break his. It is a covenant in which the Lord establishes the conditions and guarantees the results. Now, Peterson goes on. Now, you may certainly, you may quit if you wish. You may say no to God. It's a free faith. You may choose the crooked way. The Lord will not keep you against your will. But this is not the kind of thing that you fall into chance or slip away into ignorance. Defection requires a deliberate, sustained, and determined act of rejection. We are secure in the Lord. Remember the first verse of the psalm, those who trust in the Lord. It is the Lord that we trust, not our attempts to make, not make mistakes or to be good or to be faithful all the time, but it is the Lord who gives us security. We are secure. Neither our feelings of depression, the facts of suffering, or the possibility of defection are any type of evidence that God has abandoned us. He is always there and always with us. And we have security in this. So why, why does God want us to be secure, to be secure in him? Well, I think on one hand, he, because he's good. He's a good God to us. He doesn't want us to be insecure. Other gods from other worldviews want their followers to have to keep up something in order to keep good standing. But God is good, and he wants us to be secure in our relationship with him. Now, there are many scriptures about our security in the Lord. But as I was preparing this past week for this time, one specific scripture kept coming to mind that was similar in the theme of being encircled by the Lord. It's in the book of Isaiah. I'll be on the slide. Your righteousness, or your righteous one, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So there again is this similar image of safety and security. Now this one is also defensive, like the mountains that surround the city in Psalm 125. And here the image is similar. The Lord will go before us, and the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. Now the rear guard was the soldiers positioned in the back of an army to protect the army from the back. So again, the image of being surrounded and secure on all sides, protected by the Lord. 
So we have, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Your righteous one will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So two similar images, but let's pull back to look at the larger context of this second scripture, because I think the pathway um, to this type of security is a little counterintuitive. This is from Isaiah 58. It's on page 526 of the Pew Bibles if you want to turn to that, but you can follow along on some of the outline on the screen. But it's page 526 in the Bibles, uh, most of the Bibles in the pews. Now here, just for context, um, the people here, the Israelites, are, they're seeking after God. They're going to worship. They're fasting. But they're not experiencing the Lord. They're wondering, what's wrong? We're trying to worship the Lord. What is going on? So the Lord says through Isaiah, and this is picking up at verse 3, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is, on, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? And for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. So the Lord here is explaining to the people what real and true worship is. Now I remember when I first really read this scripture, when I was in my college fellowship on a service trip during spring break, very similar to the one that the Clark and Assumption students talked about earlier. And as I was reading this and looking at it with some of my friends, for the first time I realized that faith in God was not just a private me and the Lord thing. Now, don't get me wrong. It was and it is that, yes, but it's more than that. Now, I left out a key word when I first read the short verse that precedes this next section, and that's the word then. When you worship me, the Lord says, by caring for others around you, then Picking up in verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteous one will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. I want that. I want to be protected and secure in the Lord. 
to be guided by the Lord, to be answered when I call, to have my needs met, not my wants, my needs, to have my frame strengthened, to be repairer and a restorer. Now, to be clear, this is not a formula or a workspace salvation or some interesting or fun tips to a happy, healthy life, but these are promises that we can receive when we trust in the Lord for our security. When we trust the Lord for security instead of going after the world's version of safety and security. Trusting ourselves, our wealth, our own provisions that we set up for ourselves. But the then here, trusting in the Lord and spending ourselves on behalf of others. Then your light will shine like the dawn. Then the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Again, this is not a formula for a happy, healthy life. In fact, if anything, and actually probably pretty surely, it's more of a formula for less health, less wealth, and a way more messy life. Caring for others is really messy. Many of us know that. It would be a lot easier and cleaner and simpler not to loose the chains of injustice, not to untie the cords of the yoke, not to set the oppressed free, not to share our food with the hungry, not to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, not to clothe the naked. But what if we trusted in the Lord for our security in him? Enough to care for others. Now, I can testify that the more risks that I take for Jesus and caring for others, and I by no means saying that I'm an expert in this at all, but the more risks that I take for Jesus and caring for others, the more messy and complex life on earth is for me. And I know that others here would have similar experiences. But at the same time, the more I experience these things in Isaiah 58, the more I feel guided and led by the Lord. I experience him so much deeper. I have the tremendous experiences of calling on him and feeling heard and answered and comforted and responded to. And again, none of that was a quick fix, instant change in my relationship with the Lord. Just doing one thing didn't do that. But more like the title of this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now this book, I don't know if you can see it on the slide, but in that um, black strip across the middle under the picture of the mountains is the subtitle of Peterson's book, Discipleship in an Instant Society. We want immediate results. I want to feel secure in the Lord today, right now. But as we talked about already, we are secure in the Lord from the long haul we don't need to freak out about our ups and downs. And in the same way, we want to instantly become like the noonday and have strengthened frames. But my experiences like those, spending myself on others, they come as a result of spending myself on others. They're not instant changes, but the result of enduring the mess of loving others and trusting in the Lord. A long obedience in the same direction discipleship in an instant society. Like my friend Jay, long obedience in the same direction. A lifetime of little decisions to follow the Lord. 
So again, why does God want us to be secure? So that we are free from anxiety and worry as followers of him about our standing with him. He is there. He is with us. He has our back. He does not want us to worry about that. He wants us to have security in him. And he, he wants that for us, not just to be able for us not to worry, but so that we are free to lavishly care for others around us. So that we can care for others. So that we can be a part of possibly loosing chains of injustice, setting the oppressed free, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner, housing the orphan. Verse 8, Isaiah 58, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteous one will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. Do you want life? Spend yourself on behalf of others in Jesus' name. Now, our security as a church, as a community, is not in acquiring buildings and gathering to hide out inside of them, but in planting ourselves incarnationally into the neighborhoods of Worcester to sacrificially spend ourselves in Jesus' name. That is our mission. That's our purpose. The building is not our security, but the Lord is. Now, Peterson, he ends his, his chapter on security with this, and I just wanted to, to leave this with us. He writes, traveling the way of faith, and I would just add that all of this encompasses everything that we've been talking about already, repentance, worship, discipleship, loving others. So traveling the way of faith, all of these things, and climbing the ascent to Christ may be difficult, but it is not worrisome. The weather may be adverse, but it is never fatal to our faith. We may slip and stumble and fall, but the rope of the Lord will hold us. The Lord is with us. Let us live that truth as we continue to grow as a church and sacrificially spend ourselves in Jesus' name. Let me pray for us.